0: Well it is great to be here with you today and if I have not had the opportunity to meet you personally if you've got a couple of minutes I would love to have the chance to say hi to you I will be in the lobby afterwards and for all of you who are joining with us online today we are so thrilled to be able to be with you today Sue and Suzanne and Mary they're all there and I think perhaps I see Gary as well they're all there to help make sure that you know that we care about you and and if there's anything that we can do to help you or to help your family uh, we certainly want to do that so please let one of our hosts on our host team know Um, that they can help you and they would love to pray with you this morning. Now, if this is your first time with us or your first time in a long time, then we are right in the middle of a five-week series talking about the subject of family. And the series is called Real Ideal Family. And in the first week of the series, um, we looked at three sections of Scripture where we discovered pretty much everything um, as a summary of what the New Testament has to say to us on the subject of family. And then last week we looked at a very simple and yet a very powerful question, a question that, um, that we discovered is really, um, really will help all of our families and, and truly all of our relationships move from um, this point of ideal, this idea of ideal, to, uh, into something that's more tangible and more practical for all of us. And again, um, I was going to ask you, so who knows the answer to this question, but now you all do. What's the question we learned last week? Yeah, what can I do to help? We said the reason why this question is so significant and so important, the, why this is a game changer, is because this question causes all of us to lean in towards the members of our family rather than to simply pull away from them, which is what's natural. That's what's natural for all of us. Now, if you missed any of the messages in this series, if you would like to share any of the messages in this series with somebody that you are connected to, the easiest way for you to do that is actually on our Facebook, or on our YouTube um, site, our YouTube channel so we would love for you to go to that YouTube channel. In fact, last week um, I got an incredible email from a a member of our church, a person who's a part of our church, and in this email they told me that they had the opportunity to share this message from last weekend with a, a family that they have been connected to and praying for for the course of 20 years, and God used that message to help restore a broken relationship and help bring together a family that has been broken, and we are so grateful for that and so excited about that because that is exactly why we're here. That is what our Heavenly Father is doing. He is healing people. He is healing relationships. He is restoring what is broken. He is bringing Jesus into the lives of people, and He's using each of you to do that. And again, the easiest way to share anything from faith is at our YouTube channel. If you have not already liked and subscribed this, please do that. Please go and do that. Actually, you can take your phone out right now and do that. That's okay. Those of you who are parents, take your phone out, give it to your kids, have them do it for you. They'll be happy to do that for you right now. It It really does help us. It helps us to stay connected to you, but it also helps us as a church to bring the good news of Jesus into every relationship. Now, today, as we enter part three of this series, we're going to be talking about the subject of conflict, and very specifically, we're going to be talking about conflict within the family. And the first week of the series, we said because all of our families are so unique and because all of our families are so diverse. There really are very few things that all of our families truly have in common, but one of the things that we all have in common, it is this whole idea of conflict. And perhaps you've noticed this already, but one of the things that's true about conflict when it comes to family is that family is in fact one of the only areas of life where winning an argument means not really winning anything, right? Perhaps you've already noticed this, right? If you win an argument at work, in a meeting room, in a courtroom, in a boardroom, right? Chances are if you win that argument, that actually helps you. It moves something forward for you. Perhaps there's a a tangible reward involved. But if you win an argument in the living room, right, you win an argument in the kitchen, nobody's standing around high-fiving each other after the argument is over, are they? No, whenever we fight and argue in the context of family, there is no win, right? There is no win. And so many times... Our conflicts and our fights in families, they never truly get resolved or dealt with. And conflict in family is unlike conflict anywhere else. It is so emotional and and it is so complicated. And one of the reasons why conflict in family is so complicated is because not only do each of us individually handle conflict differently... But every single one of our families, right, every single one of our families are unique and they handle conflict differently as well. Because each member of our family, right, we all kind of look a little bit different when it comes to conflict. Some of us are peacekeepers, right? Those of you who are peacekeepers, you know, um, peacekeepers are like, okay, whatever's going on, it doesn't matter, I'm fine, I'm fine. If you're fine, we're all fine, right? Peacekeepers, they're never going to tell you what's actually wrong. Right? They're always just gonna look at you and say, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, really, it's good. We're we're good, we're good. And the thing that drives you crazy if you have a peacekeeper in your family is that you you know there's something going on, and they just can't, you just can't get them to actually talk about it with you. Because all they want to know is if you're okay, then they're okay. Right? Others of you, others of you, you are um, you're not a peacekeeper, but you are a moper, right? You just kind of mope, so even when the conflict is resolved, right, you're kind of you're just kind of down. Right? You're just kind of down. And we even go to you and we say to you, listen, uh, are you sure everything's okay? And we look at you and we say, yeah, we're great. And you know we're lying. Right? You know we're lying. But we just tell you, no, we're, we're good. We're good. Everything's fine. You don't look so fine. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. We're fine. We're fine. Others of us are stuffers. Right? We just hold it all in. And those of you who, you know, you're married to a stuffer, um, then, then you know, you actually poke at us every once in a while because you're like, this, something has got to come out of you. We have got to, we have got to get that out because you're just holding it in, holding it in, holding it in, right? Some of us are prosecutors, right? Those of you who are prosecutors, you, you know this, right? We are the best arguers because we always win and we are never wrong. In fact, you've actually said that to us sometimes. You've looked at us and say, it seems like you think you are never wrong. And this is really hard for those of us who are prosecutors because we think to ourselves, okay, it's not that I can't admit that I'm wrong. It's just that actually, no, I'm not actually wrong. That's, that's the problem. I'm not actually wrong. And see, those of us who are prosecutors, we are such good arguers that the other members of our family, they don't even want to talk to us. They don't want to even argue with us because they know that we're going to win. And the thing that drives us crazy, if you are a prosecutor, the the thing that drives you crazy is you you wonder why, even though all the facts are on your side, even though you win the argument, you wonder why nothing changes. Right? It just drives you crazy. And then, of course, some of us, right, some of us are yellers, right, yellers, because we just got to get it out. Right? We just got to get it out. doesn't matter what it is. It just all has to come out. In fact, some of you actually grew up in a home where everybody in your home was a yeller. And so you just yelled about everything all the time. And you thought it was great because as soon as everybody got everything out, everybody was fine. Right? But then you married, you, some of us who are yellers, we married people who were peacekeepers, mopers, or stuffers. And we had our first argument and you still remember that because they looked at you like, okay, what has gotten into you? And is there any holy water around? Because we need to get that out of you. Whatever that is. Because they said to you, listen, you don't yell. You don't ra- it's not okay to raise your voice. And you didn't understand because you grew up in a home where everybody raised their voice about everything. And you tried to explain to that person, to your spouse, you tried to say to them, listen, if we just can all get it out and just yell about it, it'll be fine. And your spouse said, no, you should never raise your voice. You don't ever raise your voice. That's not okay. And you were so confused by that. And the argument ended. right? But the conflict The conflict was never really resolved, was it? And see, all of our families are filled with all of these people. This is what makes conflict in the family so difficult. And see, what you need to know is this. Listen, I have been and Autumn has been every single one of these people in our family. Right? We have been in every single one of these people in our family, and we have been stuck in that crazy never-ending cycle of conflict where we just fight and fight and fight and fight over the same thing, same thing, same thing, just button heads, button heads, button heads all the time. And listen, I'm a pastor. She's a counselor. We have all the skills. We know all the tools, okay? But we have the same weaknesses that you do, right? We have the same struggles that you do. We are just as human as every single one of you are. And sometimes it's about hard hearts. And sometimes it's about hurt feelings. And sometimes it's about not actually having the right tool to resolve the conflict. Two times in our marriage, we have gone to marriage counseling. Two times in our marriage, our marriage counselor helped us to learn the skills we needed to learn, to learn the tools that we needed to learn to actually resolve and deal with the conflict. See, as long as there's family, there's going to be conflict, right? That's what's real. That's what's real. Having conflict in family is real because it's easy. It comes natural to all of us. But making progress and actually resolving conflict, that is what is ideal. And that's what we're going to talk about together today. And so what we're going to discover today... Is this, even though for many of us we would all say that um, there are many different ways that we individually and we as our families, there's many different ways that we actually express conflict within our family, the truth is there's really only one source of conflict. And to understand this, we're going to look at something that Jesus' brother James says to us in the book of James. And so you can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like. We're going to be in James chapter 4, or you can follow up here on the screen. We'll put the the verses up here for you. James begins this section of Scripture by asking a bit of a rhetorical question, because he looks at us and he says to all of us, he says, "Hey, Hey, what is it that actually causes the fights and the quarrels among you? Right, to which many of us want to respond, well, that's easy. Well, the reason we fight and the reason we quarrel, in my family at least, is, is because my wife never and my husband never and my kids they always and, and my parents they, they never, right? We immediately shift into blame. And so let me just kind of throw something out here that you may already know, you may have already discovered this, but this is really important for all of us to know if we're actually going to make forward and to actually have some progress. As long as you blame other people for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. As long as you blame other people for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. And the reason that's true is because when we blame other people for our unhappiness, what we're doing is we're basically taking our potential for happiness and we're saying, hey, I I can't stand you right now, so why don't you hold on to this for me? In fact, you can keep it for as long as you want. Just, just go ahead, take, I want you to take my potential for happiness. I can't stand you right now. Here, hold this. In fact, you can just keep it as long as you want to. And, and when you feel like it, you, I just, you can just give me my happiness back. Right, see, that's what we do every single time we, we, when we blame someone, we hand them our potential for happiness because we say, okay, unless I can get that person to behave a certain way, then I will never be happy. Now, let me just ask you, do you really want to hand off your potential for happiness to someone that you are arguing with right now? And I'm willing to bet that all of you would say No. No, I do not want to do that. No, we do not want to do that. Well, unless we understand what it is that James, the brother of Jesus, is going to say to us today, that's pretty much what we, in fact, it's almost we almost have no other choice but to do that. Until we actually understand what James is going to teach us, we hand off, our natural inclination is to hand off our happiness to the people that we are in conflict with. Now, that's a little bit true at work. It's a little bit true in school. It's a little bit true um, with with your friends. But that is a lot true when it comes to family. right? It's a lot true when it comes to family. Every time I blame, I hand off my potential for happiness. You hand off your potential for happiness. And until we understand how not to do that, we are doomed to be in this never-ending cycle of quarreling and fighting, quarreling and fighting. And so James asks us this question. He says, okay, so what is it that causes these fights and these quarrels uh, um, among you? And then he continues, he says, isn't it true? Don't they all come from your desires that actually battle within you? See, James is saying, listen, the reason, the reason why you can't actually battle, you, you, the reason why you can't conquer these battles that you're having in your, in your family is because you don't actually understand the source. Because I want to say, no, the reason we quarrel and fight is because it's something in them. It's something in you. It's something in him. It's something in her. It's something in them. But James says, that might be true, but it's also in you. It's also something in me. It's something that's inside of me. There is a desire within you, James is saying, And that desire is creating the conflict, and that is then spilling out on the people around you. And listen, if we just took this one simple idea, right, and applied it back to our most recent conflict in our family, right, if we just owned this, immediately, we're going to see this in a minute, immediately the temperature, right, immediately the tension level, immediately the hostility level in our conflict would drop. James continues and he says this, he says, every time there's a conflict, he says, no, you you want something, right? Every time you have a conflict with somebody in in your family, every time it comes up, even if it's the same thing over and over and over again, James says this, he says, listen, there's something that you want, but listen, you don't get it, right? You don't get it, which means Which means there's something that I want, there's something that I desire, there's something that someone has promised me. That's what we say. We say that you don't understand, James, they promised, he promised, she promised. It was a vow. It was a covenant. Every single time there's a conflict between you and a member of your family, there's something that you want that you're not getting. And James says this, so you kill. Now, James is talking to people like us, right, people in church, not people in prison. So this is hyperbole, right? We know that. But think about the significance of this as it relates to family. Right? Because the truth is, for, for some of us, right, there are things that we want so badly. There are things that we want to such an extent that if we're not careful, we can very easily end up hurting the people who are closest to us to get what we, we want. We kill. Some of you left home when you were 18, 19 years old, maybe even younger. And if we were to have you sit up here and kind of tell us your story, at the end of all the the tears, at the end of all the heartbreak and the agony and the hurt and the pain and the crying and the screaming and the yelling, you, you would say this. Listen, the reason you left, the reason you left is because somebody had a want that they didn't get. And because of that, a relationship died. Every single one of us probably has seen a husband want something so badly from his wife that it killed her self-esteem. Every single one of us probably have seen a a wife that wanted something so badly that it killed her husband's self-image. Right? We've seen parents who have such high expectations of their children that their wants kill their, their child's heart. Right? When you want something for someone... Whether it's your husband, your wife, uh, your kids, um, whoever it is, if we want it hard enough in our desire to get what it is that we want, we have the potential. I have the potential. All of us have the potential to kill a relationship. Some of you, unfortunately, are in the middle of this right now. And see, what we say to ourselves is, I just want something better for him. I just want something better for them. I I I just want them to reach their full potential, right? We lie to ourselves. Because listen, do you know why? Right? Do you know why? Do you know why we hurt the people who are closest to us the most? It's because they are closest to us. Do you know why the people who, who we are closest to, right? the people that you've made an incredible vow to, the people that you've sacrificed for, the, the people who literally you have risked your life to bring into this world, do you know why most of your conflict is with those people? It is because they are closest to you. And see, you want something from them. And whether we deserve it or not is, in fact, secondary. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But you want something from them. And that want, it has the potential to destroy that person. Now, again, can you imagine, right, can you just imagine the change that would take place in our families If every single one of us just simply owned this one idea. James goes on and he says, you covet. Right, you covet. Now, we don't use this word anymore, really. And when we do use this word, we tend to think of of something internally. But that's not really what James is thinking of. um, Because the word covet um, means to pursue. Right, it means to go after. Right, To, to pursue hotly. And so James is saying, listen, there's something that you want and you just keep going for it. You go for it. You go for it. You keep pushing. You keep pushing. You keep pushing. You keep asking. You keep asking. And you keep asking. And you're just not going to stop. And so you covet, but you cannot have what you want. And so you quarrel and you fight. And we're right back to where we began today, which is how it so often feels when we're in family and we're dealing with conflict. We're just going round and round and round and not making any progress or traction anywhere. Now we're going to pause right here for a minute because there's enough tension in that for all of us probably. And we're going to do a little bit of an exercise, a little application, and we're going to come back to what it is that James is going to say to us in the rest of this section of Scripture. And for this next part, um, this is really important. I need all eyes up here, um, all elbows down at your side, no poking and no looking at the person you're sitting next to or who you came with, because here's my question for you. I want you to think back to your most recent conflict in your family, and let's just say that this circle represents that entire conflict, the whole thing, right, all of it. Doesn't matter if it's between you and your spouse, you and your kids, whatever it is, this whole circle is all of that conflict. Now, here's the very important question that you're asking with eyes forward. How much of this, if you're honest, how much of this is, in fact, your responsibility? If you're honest, right, just in your head, how much is it? This much? H- how much? How much? Is that it? Is that your part of this? It doesn't have to be that big. It could be smaller. Maybe it's that much. Or, or maybe for you, maybe the truth is you're, you're, you're almost perfect, right? You're almost perfect, and it's just this tiny, it's just this tiny, it's t- this tiny little bit. Right? See, here. here here's, here's why this matters. Right. This is what we all know. This is what James is trying to help us to all understand. As soon as you, as soon as I, as soon as I own, even just a little slice of the conflict, right. immediately the temperature comes down, doesn't it? Immediately my tension level comes down, doesn't it? Immediately I lose some of my leverage, don't I? See, this is what the apostle, this is what James, the brother of Jesus, is trying to, to get us to understand. Because this forces us to recognize that whoever it is that we are in conflict right now, the truth is that person isn't getting what they want either. It's why we said in the very beginning of the message that when you fight with family, nobody really wins. Right? Nobody really wins when you fight with family. And the reason why we have such a hard time when we're in the midst of an argument, right? the reason we have such a hard time stopping, the reason why we have such a hard time owning our slice of it, even if our slice is so tiny, is because we know that as soon as that happens, we lose some leverage. And James is like, yes. Yes, exactly. If everyone in the family would just own a little piece of the conflict, James would say, you won't quarrel and fight. As much but see the reason we resist this right is because as soon as I draw a slice in the pie as soon as I say that some of this is my responsibility the truth is that's too hard to do and I'd rather just focus on you and because it, it's your fault and it's your fault and, and it's your fault and I would I feel so good when it's all about you but as soon as it's a little bit about me I don't feel as good anymore and I lose a little bit of my leverage but see, here's the part where we get stuck. Because we say, listen, they promised. Right? He promised. It was a vow. Right? It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a covenant. Right? And, and, and listen, this is not James dismissing you. Right? This is not James dismissing you. I'm, I, and I am not in any way trying to be insensitive with this. Right? If this is, if this is your objection to this whole thing, James is saying this, listen, the reason you fight is because you're, getting, you, you're not getting something that you want. And ultimately, the person you're fighting with, they're not getting what they want either. Right? But for some of us, we say, but you don't understand, Joe. This is not about, Joe, this is not about me not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I was promised. I'm not getting what I deserve. Well, let me just ask you, right, if that's you don't you want what you were promised? I mean, don't, don't you want what you deserve? See, James is actually exactly right. The, the, the source of all quarrels and fights is this want. It's this, uh, this, is this warring want that's inside of us. And, and there are things that I want that are legitimate, and there are other things that I want That may not be legitimate. And James is saying, okay, the source of every quarrel and fight that you're engaged with is this battle of warring wants. And and those warring wants, if we're not careful, they will spill out on the people around us and they have the potential to destroy the people that we love the most. This is James' point, right? This whole want thing, this whole desire thing, it is incredibly, incredibly powerful, and James wants us to recognize that all of these wants that we have, even the good ones, even the ones that we have for our family members, if those things get out of control, if we don't kind of check those in our hearts and in our minds, they have the potential to destroy the people around us who are most important to us. And see, the truth is, the thing that you really want, right, the thing that I really want, the thing that all of us really want, the truth is that Uh, lives in a a realm, right? It lurks in a realm that few of us rarely explore. And the truth is, many of our families are caught in this never-ending cycle of conflict because that realm, it remains unexplored. But see, the good news is this. This realm is the realm that Jesus was constantly pointing towards. This realm is the ideal that Jesus was constantly pointing us to. In fact, what you discover when you read the Gospels is that this realm is the place that he was always trying to pull the attention of his disciples. If you read the Gospels today, you, you discover that this is the realm that Jesus is still trying to pull all of our attention towards today. And to that end, right, James, the brother of Jesus, kind of wraps up our discussion today and he says this. He says, you, right back to us. You have not what you want. You have not because you do not ask God. Now, when you hear this, immediately every single one of us have some kind of a reaction. In fact, I would argue it's going to be one of two reactions. The first one is to say this. Well, no, I haven't asked God because I already know what God's going to say. Right? How many times have you said that to your parents? Right, parents, how many times have we heard our kids say that back to us? No, I didn't ask you because I already know what you're going to say. James says, listen, one of the reasons why you don't actually have what you want, and notice this, he never says don't bother asking. One of the reasons you don't have what you want is because you haven't asked God for it. right? In other words, James is saying this, have you ever considered... Right, have you ever considered that before you go trying to extract something from your husband or extract something from your wife that you actually get down on your knees and you say to your Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, there is something I want from my wife. There is something I want from my husband. Heavenly Father, I, I want my spouse to just get, get off the phone so much. Heavenly Father, there is something that, that, that I want from my teenage son. I just want my teenage son, Father, I just want him to have better friends. Heavenly Father, I just want my teenage daughter to stop dating that jerk. I mean, I know you made him and everything somehow he's in your image. I get that. I just, but Heavenly Father, there is something that I want, and I am not getting that want. James has, has it ever occurred to you that before you try to extract that from somebody else, that you just, you actually bring that, whatever it is, to your Heavenly Father? Because listen, James would say this: your wants. Your concerns, they are incredibly important to your heavenly Father because you, right? Because you are incredibly important to your heavenly Father. Now, the other thing that we think when when we hear this is, is we think this. We think, okay, well, yes, I have. right? I have absolutely asked God. Right? James says, okay, you, you, you do not have what you want um, right, because you haven't asked God. That's the first option. And then he says, so when you do ask, then he goes on and he says this. Now, he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, when we first hear this, right, the very first reaction we have for many of us is kind of like my grandma used to look at me and say, okay, you, Joe, you bring that little mouth over here. I'm going to wash it out with soap right now. You can't say something like that to me. But I'm telling you, this is so insightful, and this is so helpful, but this is really, really tricky, and it's emotional. Okay, so stick with me here. When you look, right, when you actually look in the Greek text at this verse, verse number three, what you discover is that this phrase here, wrong motive, is not in the text at all. Okay, this is actually a a, a translation of a Greek term. And all of the English translations struggle with how to render this term properly. And the reason they render it with this way of saying wrong motives is because to, to translate it literally in the English, it, it doesn't make grammatical sense, right? It's great for people like me who don't know English, but it's not so good for people like you who are articulate and literate, right? Because what James says literally, what, he, what the little literal translation of this verse is, is he says, listen, when you ask, you do not receive Because your ask is bad. Or your ask is bad. It has nothing to do with motive necessarily. James is saying, okay, has it ever occurred to you that that you're asking the wrong person for the wrong thing? Has it ever occurred to you that this thing that you want so badly, so deeply, that you're trying to squeeze out of someone in your family, has it ever occurred to you that person does not actually have it within them to give you? You're trying to get a want from someone, James would say, um, someone in your family, and you want that thing so deeply. But the truth is only your heavenly father can give what you want to you. James is saying, listen, if you will allow, if you will actually allow your heavenly father to grapple with you, Right At this level, at the heart level, at this level of want, what it is that you want from her, what it is that you want from him, what you're expecting of her, what you're expecting of him, that you think will actually make you and bring you happiness? That you think you can extract from these people? If you'll actually let your heavenly father grapple with you at that level, James says, maybe you will discover that the only person who can actually fulfill That want, that badly, that deeply, is your Heavenly Father? And see, again, there's plenty of tension here for all of us, isn't there? It's into that tension, it's into that angst that all of us feel with this, that Scripture speaks. And your heavenly father actually makes you a series of promises of what he will do. About what he will bring into your real. What Jesus will bring in to your real and to my real. And it's found in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says this. In light of all this tension that we feel. In light of all this angst that we feel. In light of all this emptiness that, that we carry with us. Let us approach God's throne of grace With confidence, right? All the authors of the New Testament, all of them say that when you approach God, you come confidently, you come boldly, you come expectantly, you bring all of your emotion, you bring all of your hurt, you bring all of your pain, you bring all of that with you. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows what you're carrying. Right? You come boldly, you come expectantly, you come confidently. Right? And then listen to this next phrase. So that you may, we may, you may receive. Don't miss this. The author of Hebrews is saying when you come to God, however you come, you come honestly, you come with whatever it is that you're feeling in life right now, and every single time you come, you are going to receive something. When you approach your Heavenly Father with all that emotion, all that angst, all that want, all that hope, all that despair, you bring all of it because he's going to give you something. And the first thing he's going to give to you is mercy. Mercy. Mercy is the fact that your heavenly father is going to take your issue. He's going to take your request seriously. Not because it's a serious issue, but because it's your issue. Mercy is that I take my children's requests and complaints seriously. Not because they're serious requests or serious complaints, but because they are my child's complaints. And see, sometimes mercy is tangible, right? Sometimes we come to God and we pour out our hearts to God and we say to our Heavenly Father, we say, listen, I just can't take this anymore. I I can't handle this anymore. And all of a sudden the phone rings, right? Or we get a text message and somebody says, hey, do you want to get coffee? Right? Hey, do you want to get lunch? Right? That's tangible mercy. And then other times, Right, other times it's mercy that's just peace, it's not tangible. Right? And we pour out our hearts to God, we, we pour out our hurts to God, we pour out our wants to God, we, we pour all of ourselves out to our Heavenly Father, and at the end of that, we know nothing's changed, but we have this sense that perhaps I, perhaps you, have changed. That's mercy. That's mercy. That is the first thing your Heavenly Father promises to give you every single time you approach him. But there's a second thing. There's a second thing. There is also grace to help you in your time of need. And this is so important to understand here, especially in this context. Please do not miss this. Grace in this context means the strength, or the energy, or the ability to endure. That's what grace means here. The strength, or the energy, or the ability to endure. And your husband may not come back. But your heavenly father says, I'm going to give you the grace to endure that. Your prodigal daughter, she may not call for an entire year, but your heavenly father says, I'm going to give you the grace to endure that. And you may never get the time of day with her. And your Heavenly Father says, I'm going to give you the grace to endure that. You may never be in that position you want to be with your company. You may never be financially where it is that you want to be in your career. And your Heavenly Father says, Listen, I will give you the grace you need to endure that. And if in those moments, those moments of our want, Our Heavenly Father says, if you will come to me and lean hard on me, even though I don't come and give you what you want in that circumstance, if you will lean hard on me in the middle of that, I promise you, grace and mercy in your time of need. Grace and mercy that helps in your time of need. Because see, your want is strong. Your want is powerful. Your heavenly Father's want is to meet you in that and to give you what only he has to give, mercy and grace that helps And sometimes he will deliver you from, but every time, every time, he has promised to deliver you through. That is your heavenly Father's promise for you. For you. For you. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, these words are so true for every single one of us today, every single one of us here in this room, every single one of us online. And Father, for some of us, um, we we hear these words and we're thankful uh, because even though they're hard, they're helping us to understand perhaps for the first time um, why it is that our family just keeps fighting, why it is that we just can't seem um, to get a handle on this conflict. And Father, for, for others of us, we hear this, and, and we hear it with a sense of regret because if we're honest, Father, if we're here today because we're playing catch-up, because we're trying to grapple with some really deep hurts and some really difficult emotions. And Father, the only thing we're certain of in this moment is that our way hasn't worked. And so what we're asking, all of, all of us, Father, me included, Father, what we're asking for is your way. And, and some, sometimes we don't even know what your way looks like. We don't even know what your way feels like or what to ask for. And so, Father, it's into those moments that we just ask that you work, that you restore that you heal and father none of us is arrogant enough to think that we don't have responsibility in our conflict and so father we do ask that you would forgive us forgive us of our sin forgive us of our hard heartedness and father we ask that you'd heal our relationships that you'd heal our families Father, we also ask for all of us that you would use us as broken as our families are to help bring healing into the lives of other people so that they too may experience your promise of grace and mercy in our time of need. And Father, we ask all of this in the powerful and incredible name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Today, as we wrap up, I've asked our worship team to close with a specific song. And for some of you, uh, you're going to hear this song and you're going to want to stand up and sing. For others of you, you're going to want to sit there and just kind of let them sing this over you for others of you, you're going to want to come down front. I want to invite you to come down front and you're going to, because these words for you, these words are literally your prayer. You don't know what to do and so you are trusting that God will do whatever he needs to do. And you're willing to give up control, you're willing to to give up all the the, I was right in the past and all the arguments of the past. You just you're asking for God's mercy and you're asking for God's grace. And so I just want to invite you to stand to sit, to kneel, to sing with us, or let us sing and pray.